Hi, we are Caroline and Levi Holt, and we're part of the family here at Holt Farms. When I think of the people that I know that I watched wear Liberty overalls growing up, hard work, determination, perseverance, just a real appreciation for their craft and what they did and, and for things that, that lasted and for things that, that meant something to them. That's what I saw walking around in Liberty overalls. Shop LibertyBibs.com for your pair today. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Rebecca King. In 1997, at a very young age, Rebecca married her high school sweetheart and joined him in taking over his family's generational farm. They jumped in with both feet, determined to succeed and to never look back. By April of 2006, they had completed their family with three precious daughters. In January of 2013, the family farm became Royal Acres Incorporated. Along with her husband and three daughters, they were a well-oiled machine, determined and thriving on their 2,000-acre farm. Fast forward to Father's Day 2015. Rebecca spent the day before helping Donald fix the flighting on the grain auger in the morning and in the afternoon picking out a tie for him to wear to a friend's wedding that evening. A few days later, she was picking out a tie for her dear husband Donald to wear for his funeral. He was 42. Rebecca shares with us today about the loss of her husband, Donald, and what that did that day, not only personally, as well as what happened on their farm. You may remember hearing part of Becca's story back on episode 153 of the Rural Woman podcast, part one of the Advancing Women in Agriculture mini interviews. To give a little backstory here, the day that Rebecca walked into the room to share her story in those mini interviews, she introduced herself as Billy J. Miller's neighbor. Billy J. Miller is a dear friend of mine and to this podcast, so I was so excited to meet her. And as soon as Rebecca started sharing her story, it hit me like a ton of bricks that I was aware of Rebecca's story. As she had shared her own personal tale of the loss of her husband 
in Billy's book, Farm Wives 2, as well as shared her story in Billy's other project, The Women Among Us, both of which I have linked in today's show notes if you would like to read more on Rebecca King's story. I cannot thank Rebecca enough for coming on here today and sharing her story. I can only imagine how hard this story is to share, but I am so incredibly grateful for what she has done, not only for me, but for this audience, as I believe Rebecca's story is something that could be known as our worst nightmare. So please take her story and the advice that she shares and put it to use on your own operation and have those awkward conversations. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Rebecca. Rebecca, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. I am so happy to have you back here on the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here too. And I say back here because folks may remember you from the many interviews that we did for the Advancing Women in Agriculture Conference. And if people have no idea what we're talking about, they need to go back to episode 153. And I believe your story is in part one. So I, uh, before we started recording here, I was just saying to Rebecca how funny it is to me that a lot of times I don't get to meet people ever that I interview and or if I do, it's usually after I interview them. But I've already met you. So it's like we're girlfriends having coffee today. <laughs> Fantastic. That's the way I like it. Yes, me too. Me too. So Rebecca, for the folks who are unfamiliar with you, tell us about yourself and how you got your start in agriculture. Yes, I am live in East Central Alberta, closer to Lloyd Minster, actually just off of the Saskatchewan border. And um, I was basically born and raised in, in the area, grew up on an acreage. However, my mom came from a huge family farm where we spent lots of time and, and you know, learned the value of, of the land and, you know, everything that, that comes along with, with farming. And when I was in grade 11, I was blessed with meeting my future husband. At the time I was DJing, I did a lot of DJing on the side to, you know, make money to go to college and and put fuel in my car, that type of thing. And he happened to be at one of the, one of the gigs that I was playing for. And, and he came up on stage and he asked me to dance. And I thought, wow, look at him. (laughs) So anyways, long story short from that day on. So I was, was very young from that day on. We um, spent a lot of time together. And by the time I was 19 years old, we were married and jumped onto his family farm. And basically from there on, we, we built up and you're still on that farm today. That's a pretty cool high school job, DJing. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. I, I loved it. In fact, I, I did that up until I had my third daughter in 2006. And then after having three girls and being on the family farm and whatnot, it just was getting to be too much. Yeah. And, um, and I retired. But yeah. I, Very cool. Yeah, it's, it's great. I absolutely loved it. See, the things you ask people about, tell us about yourself and things you don't know about them. I didn't know you were a DJ. My high school job, I bagged groceries. 
it worked. <laughs> Put gas in my car. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so tell us more about your operation, Royal Acres Incorporated. Yes. Well, actually, Royal Acres Incorporated happened in January of 2013. So we decided to go that route just so that we were able to do a little bit more um, business savvy. We had ran the farm from November of 97 up until 2013, just under sole proprietors. And it just made good business sense to to move over to an incorporation. So that was very exciting for us. And, and just coming up with the name Royal Acres Incorporated was just a fun conversation. So anyways, so in August of 97, my husband Donald and I were married. And then by November, we had moved out to the family farm, his family farm. They were at that time a, a three-generation farm. And uh, his dad had moved to to our local town of, of Kitscotty, and we moved into the old farmhouse, and we started our family. By 2006, we had three girls, and we were thriving. We were, you know, working really well together. We were well-oiled machines. We had, at the time of taking over the farm, we had um, over-doubled our acres with, with rented land. We did buy an, uh, one other quarter. We increased our cattle herd by almost double, completely replaced all of the equipment over the years, you know, and yeah, really started to change the landscape a little bit with, you know, new new bin site. It was all big deal things, especially at our ages, you know, like it was, we worked really hard, but we worked together all the time and, and I loved it. It was just fantastic. And, and yeah, now here I am today. The highly anticipated Trailblazer Co. 2022 Holiday Gift Guide is back. Imagine one place for all of your gift giving, all while supporting a rural woman. The Trailblazer Co. Holiday Gift Guide features the products and offerings of rural women from across North America. Available in print, digital, and online, visit the link in today's show notes or visit trailblazerco.com slash gift dash guide and get shopping. The book of planning, dreaming, organizing, and resources for everyone living a rural life and involved in agriculture is back. Navigate 2023 is here. It's more than just your average day planner. Designed for a rural lifestyle, Navigate includes everything from weekly and monthly planning pages to reflections and gratitude practices. What makes Navigate unique is a section dedicated to agriculture, including facts, crops and livestock inventories, a garden map, and much more. Navigate is made with high-quality paper and the cover is eye-catching but also durable. Monthly tabs help to easily navigate the book and the pocket in the back is useful for keeping track of those loose papers. The Navigate Planner is here to bring harmony to your story. Head to the link in today's show notes or to alisonweaver.com to grab your copy of Navigate 2023. Rebecca, tell us some of your favorite memories that you have with Donald working on the farm together. Oh boy, I can honestly say that that they're all my favorite memories. Yeah. We had lots of laughs. And I mean, lots of times we were so exhausted and worn out that, you know, we'd just shake our head and look at each other. But 
I mean, he was just so, so good to me. And I, I know lots of times, like, let's say we were out checking the, the air on the, on the air seater and, and, you know, because I'm smaller, I was able to crawl through, you know, the, and make sure that the seeds all coming out, the fertilizers coming out of all the boots. And, you know, I can remember one time I went to get up and I cracked my head a good one, you know, and, and I thought, I don't have time for this, you know, like, and he comes over and, and of course it's bleeding and, and he comes over and he, and he gives me a kiss and he's like, come on, tough mama, like, let's keep going. Right. And so you just, you just carry on. And, and he was just so, so good to me that way. But I do remember, oh, shucks. I think that our oldest, or pardon me, our youngest had already, already been born. And in the wintertime, we would run the cattle and just punch a hole in, in our dugout area for them to water in the wintertime. Well, Donald had the flu really bad, but he had gone out. He says, nope, maybe I just need to go out and get some fresh air. So we had gone out to water the cattle. And, of course, we didn't have cell phones yet at that time that were really functional. We had cell phones, but they just weren't, didn't have great service. But, of course, it wouldn't have mattered because he never took his with him anyways. But he went out and sure as shoot, a bunch of the cattle had fell through the dugout. So there was about six in there. And so he, thank goodness, had chains and ropes and he managed to, with the bucket on the tractor, he got them all drug out and they were fine, except for my heifer. She was done. So I thought, oh, fantastic. (laughs) So that was fine. Fast forward to that spring, we're doing spraying. At that time, we had just a 120-foot pull-behind sprayer, and we would get the water from that dugout for our sprayer. Now, yes, we had filters. We, we always actually even had old, old T-shirts that we put over the tank. So, you know, we always made sure the water was filtered. We have no idea how, but somehow we started sucking up that my heifer's air from the dugout. And we had 120 feet of sprayer nozzle screens tiny little screens full of my heifer hair. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So there I am. And I mean, when you're spraying and you've got so much to do, it it was so stressful. So I'm out there, you know, cleaning all these screens and, and yeah. And like afterwards, all we could do is laugh about it, you know, but at the time we were just so frustrated, but yeah, I mean, I mean, those are some of the, the crazy, crazy memories, but I mean, we've got some wonderful, you know, memories of just, you know, the girls coming out and helping us when they were little. Like when I say we were well-oiled machines, our, my youngest is six years younger than our middle daughter. And so she always rode with me. My oldest was the, you know, happy homemaker. She was in the house, always taking care of the meals at a young age, you know, and, and I would have stuff prepped, but she would get it all put into containers. Then my middle daughter had an old peach box that she'd put the meals in strap it to the back of her quad and she'd burn out to whatever field we were at, you know, and, and deliver the meals. And they were young, like eight and 10. It was fantastic. And, you know, as, as the girls continued to get older, we were all just part of it. And, you know, everybody did everything. There was no definition between really much of pink or blue jobs around our farm, right? Like we were all, everybody did it all. So it was good. It was good. We, um, yeah. We had a lot of good times. Well, those just are such happy memories and they're making me smile over here. And I just think hearing these and knowing that, you know, I think I think it's quite common now. And I don't know if it's because of social media and 
people are trying to get the laughs or whatever it is. But I think there's a lot of times we can complain about working with our spouse. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there were hard times where you probably didn't want to be looking at them. But, uh, you know, being able to figure out and get into the groove and being that well-oiled machine, you know, once you find your groove, like, I feel like that's when the good stuff really happens for you and your farm. Oh, it was. And I mean, we just, we loved involving our, our kids. Like that was very much Donald was such a family man. Like it was, everything was all about his girls always, all the time. Like there was nothing for him to shut down at seeding time, even though he knew, you know, we had to get this in. He would shut down and go in to watch the girls, you know, cause they all played ball. And of course, every time he got there, he'd get rooked into umping. You know, and, and, you know, he'd take a bit of flack from his buddy farmers and be like, oh, yeah, you got to shut down for the girls, ha, 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 you know. But now the tables have turned and they're in the same position. You know, right. their kids are that age and, and they're shutting down to go see see their girls. And, and you know, it all comes full circle. But, but yeah, I, I just, as I'm reflecting back, I was thinking of a time when um, our middle daughter was riding in the combine with her dad and, and I was in, in the yard. And she comes walking in and her eyes are as big as saucers. And she's like, mom, there's a big bad Roger in the field. And I thought, what the heck? What do you, what do you mean? What's a big bad Roger? And so anyways, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, wasn't really sure what she was talking about. Well, that evening then when we had shut down, I said to Donald, I'm like, what's a big bad Roger? Well, he started to laugh because there was a badger. Oh. <laughs> and so she was, you know, there was this, this badger. And then another time, we also had a, a hired hand that came out seasonally. And one spring, he was out and, and he kind of took a shining to our little, our youngest one. And so she was riding and he was picking rocks. And so she was riding with him going rock picking, right? And there was an area that, you know, it was just easier for them to get out and just kind of pick a bunch of them by hand, a bunch of little fist-sized ones, you know, that he wanted to, to get out there well. Our youngest wasn't too happy about that, but she says, but it was okay, mom. She says, cause do you know the Flintstones? She says, we were singing the Flintstones. She said, while we were picking rocks. And I thought, oh my, <laughs> I could just see those two out there <laughs> singing the oh, Flintstones and picking rocks. That's amazing. I think next time I'm forced to go pick rocks, that's what I'm going to think of is, <laughs> is this story right here. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Oh. We were definitely blessed with a wonderful hired hand, that's for sure. Absolutely. That's so great. Rebecca, you uh, you shared with us in your previous mini interview the loss of, of Donald, and uh, you have been so gracious to come back and share your full story with us here today. I want to take us back to when we were at the Advancing Women in Agriculture Conference. You had told me who you were. You had told me that you were uh, neighbors with my friend, Billy J. Miller, who has been a friend of this podcast for quite some time now. And I knew that there was a story. And as soon as you started speaking, it all connected to me and it hit me like a ton of bricks of who you were. And I, I had known your story. You had shared a bit of your story uh, with Billy in her book, Farm Wives 2. And uh, I remember reading that bit of the book and honestly believing that this is not only my worst nightmare, but a lot of 
women in agriculture's worst nightmare. And I know you were worried about getting emotional during this interview, but here I am uh, getting a little misty here. So take us back to 2015 and share with us the loss of Donald. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the the morning of would have been June 20th of 2015. It was a beautiful morning. We had finished seeding and um, we were out out in the yard. We were actually fixing the flighting in the auger. And so we were in the yard working on that in the morning. And then that afternoon, we had gone in to get cleaned up because we had a family friend's wedding to attend. And uh, so we got in and we were all getting cleaned up for the for the wedding. And, you know, I'm, I'm picking out his tie and, and getting everybody, all the kids primped and organized and, and ready to go. And it was great. We had gone out that night and, and you know, we danced all night long. And, and I mean, one thing I have to say, and um, it is really hard to talk about, but um, Donald and I loved to dance, absolutely loved to dance. And um, we danced the night away. It was so nice. And um, I didn't know that that was going to be the last time I ever got to dance with him. And uh, yeah, because the next the next morning we um, we got up and it was Father's Day, so the kids had all had their gifts for their dad and they had given them to him. And I mean, we were all feeling, you know, tired from from dancing all night and just having a good time. And so we had actually sat down and watched the ball game in the morning and and drank coffee and. And the girls gave him his Father's Day presents. And he had to go to Calgary that afternoon because he was a delegate for UFA at the time. And so they had meetings on the Monday. So he thought, I'll go down the, the night before. And my oldest was already done her exams because, of course, in June, it's, it's exam time. And so she was in, in grade 11. And she decided, well, I'm done my exams, Dad. Can I come with you? And he's like, absolutely. He says, you know, you can hang out in the hotel while I'm at meetings, you know, go use the pool, do whatever. And so about 4 o'clock that afternoon, the two of them took off. And so my middle daughter, she was, of course, she was studying because she had an exam the next day. Uh, She was 14. And, yeah, we were just hanging around. And and about 6 o'clock that afternoon, I got a phone call from and the RCMP, um, they just asked me what kind of vehicle my husband drove. And so instantly, my heart was, was in my throat. Like, I just, I knew there was something was not good. And I, I didn't want to, you know, panic or anything. And, and the phone call ended. And he didn't tell me anything. And he says, okay, I'll get back to you. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Like, I was just, I was terrified. I was shaking. I, I, I knew something was wrong. And some of it gets to be a bit of a, a blur, but I know that, you know, throughout that, the kids had kind of realized that something's not right and, you know, what's wrong, mom? And, and then the phone rang again. It was the RCMP and they asked where I lived. And so I told them and I, they didn't tell me anything still. And they hung up the phone again and I asked them, I'm like, what's going on? They're like, no, we're just wondering, you know, we're just wondering where you lived, you know, that kind of thing. And, and um, we'll get back to you again. Honestly, Caitlin, I was, I was a wreck. I, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I started making phone calls. I phoned some good friends of ours. I phoned Donald's sister. I just said, there's something going on. I don't know what. Can, can you guys get out here? And within about probably the longest 30 minutes of my life, I had people pouring in and one of our local RCMP officers whom we knew came in and told us the news. 
like even my ears went like everything just started to ring. I couldn't, I couldn't move. And he had said that he was gone and that my daughter was airlifted by stars to the university hospital. She had gone into shock and, and from there it was just a whirlwind. Before I knew it, I was at the university hospital and the, the, um, team had met me there. Donald had a twin sister that lived in Edmonton. And so she had got to the hospital before me, which was, which was good because I wanted somebody with her, you know, as soon as possible. And I left my two youngest back at home with, with their aunties and yeah, got to the hospital. And they said, you know, when, when you go in the room, like she, she was going into shock. She was absolutely glistening with glass, like just fragments of glass. And, and she was a wreck and kind of panicky. And um, they said, oh, she, she just sees dark. She just sees dark. But they said, that's normal. They, they see black, you know, and, and, and so, but they hadn't told her. They wanted me to tell her. So I got to her and as, as I got to her, they're like, okay, we're ready. So we wheeled her down to um, get x-rays. And as we were being wheeled down, you know, I'm on the, on the bed with her and, and, you know, leaning over and she's like, mom, it's just dark. It's just dark. And, and I said, I know, honey. And, and she says, where's dad? And, and I said, he's gone. And then she says, I knew it. And, oh, it was just so hard. And so, yeah, we had x-rays done and, and um, the days passed that. Like we literally, we sat up there for a few days at the university hospital. She had a lot of injuries. We had lots of visitors up there. One of my, one of my, um, one of my best girlfriends was there and she just sat behind Marty all night, all the time. And literally picked glass out of her hair for days. And we actually vacuumed her to try and get the, the glass fragments out of her. She was just a wreck. But, um, but yeah, so that was on a Sunday that the um, accident happened. And the following Tuesday, we were had already managed to get home. I got back to my other babies and started planning a funeral. Oh, it was just so much. And, yeah, we had lots of... Lots of visitors. Planning a funeral is something that you never think you're going to have to do. And, and, you know, I, you know, I just, before I knew it, I was, I was facing all of these, you know, questions and challenges. Like I had to choose a coffin and flowers and, and music and, and prayers and pallbearers. And like the whole list was just so emotional, emotionally draining. I was just going through the motions. I was so thankful for my community and family that were, were with me as I was going along with all of this. But um, I remember sitting at the funeral home and I had lots of family and lots of friends with us and, and we're going through and, and discussing, you know, some of the particulars with the funeral and the viewing and whatnot. And just before we went to go in to pick out a coffin and I wanted everybody to help me, I wanted them all to come with me. I didn't bring the kids, but they had brought me his wallet and his wedding ring. And uh, I kept the wallet, but I um, uh, kissed his ring, and I said, no, that goes with him, you know. And so, yeah, they, they put his ring back on him, and, and you know, that two death do us part thing was really hard. But I still, I still wear my wedding ring till this day. So, yeah, from there we, we went in and, and picked out a coffin, and, oh, it just, it just was so much, so, so much. Whew. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. I know it's hard. I know it's hard even so many years later. I'm sure it feels like just yesterday on other days. It 
It does. Yeah. Some days are, are definitely harder than others. And, and yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't say that he was, he was actually hit head on by a mentally unstable driver. And that's what, what the accident was. And, um, yeah, he was just outside of Camrose and uh, he was, was basically killed instantly. And, and yeah, just so thankful for the first responders and, and everybody that was there and, and the, and the person that hit him, who I'm still struggling to, to forgive. I don't know if I ever will. He was killed as well. And, uh, so that was, that was very tough. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of emotions and, and, you know, like I said, you never, you never think that, well, the death of a spouse is, is a different tragedy than, than any other in the sense that it, it literally changes every single thing in your world going forward. You're handed a new life instantly that you never asked for and, and that you dif- didn't want. Right. There's so many, yeah, so many decisions to be made, you know, instantly and then years down the road. Mm-hmm. All of those things that you thought you'd be doing together. Well, and especially I think in when it comes to losing a spouse, you know, whether it's through illness that was long-term or, you know, a freak accident, like you said, you didn't ask for this life afterwards. You didn't ask to live your life without your spouse. And I'm so grateful that you have shared this part of your story with us. And I know it was hard, so thank you. And, you know, it's it's something that I don't think you can ever plan for. And it's something that I don't think anybody ever wants to plan for. I think, you know, there's sometimes we can go down a rabbit hole of thinking of worst case scenarios. And, you know, that's that's high on the list. I'm so grateful for everyone who was able to surround you at that time and to help you through that. And like you said, to the first responders and the paramedics and stars and everyone who took care of your baby so well. And I'm so grateful that she's still here today. And, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It's, um, and that's the thing, like you said, you, you never plan for that. And, and just kind of going back to what I said, when, when, um, we decided to transition our farm and, and become incorporated, we just happened to have the most fabulous lawyer that helped us, you know, develop the corporation and whatnot. And, and we were one of his last appointments of the day and the office had closed and we were still in there visiting, you know, with him and, and just, you know, just not as lawyer to, to client. It was, you know, friend to friend. And he was just wonderful. He just said, now, now you guys are young, he said. And I, he says, I just really, and at that time, our lawyer was actually looking at retiring and becoming a deacon. And so I think that was part of this coming out in him. And he, and he says, you know, I just want you guys to, you know, go home and have that, that difficult conversation. He says, you've got, you know, a, a young family and, and you two are young. And, and it was just us on the farm because, you know, Donald's dad had basically retired. Well, he had retired. He had moved to town. The day after we told him we were engaged, he went to town and bought a, bought a lot in, uh, in Kitscotty and started building a house. He's like, you know, our destiny was written for us. We were perfect. You know, you guys are getting married. You can take over the farm. I'm going to town kind of thing, right? So anyways, yeah, we, uh, we were told by our lawyer. He said, go have that difficult conversation. He says, talk about the what ifs. And we kind of thought, wow. 
okay, you know, you never want to think about that. Like, what the heck? We were in our, you know, in our 30s. Why would we want to think about the what ifs, right? So we did. We actually, we went home that night and it was in January. So it was a winter evening. We, you know, we weren't outside working and kids had all gone to bed. So I can remember it distinctly. I had a glass of wine and he had his scotch and we're sitting there talking and we joked about it a bit. We're like, oh yeah, well, do you think you'll ever remarry if, you know, I kicked the bucket kind of thing or, you know, diff- different things like that. And, and he had said, well, well, when I die, he says, I want to be, I want to be buried out on the home quarter. Well, legally we can't do that, (laughs) you know, but he'd said that at that time. And, you know, we just, we talked about things, you know, like we, we even touched on, on pallbearers, you know, like who would, who would you want to have you as your pallbearers or, you know, what do you think you'd do with the farm if, if I passed away or, you know, and, and I can remember saying, there's no way I'd ever give up this place. This is where our babies were born. This is where they're going to be raised. This is where their their roots are. This is, you know, growing up on the farm is the best life ever, you know, and, and I want that for my kids. And, and I remember saying that to him, like, if, if anything ever happened, that's what I would do. And, and he said the same. But I remember telling him, like, if I go, I want you to, you know, I want you to be happy. I want you to move on and, you know, find a woman, but not, not one as pretty as me, (laughs) you know, like, and we joked, but we did have some of those, you know, little difficult questions and conversations. Don't make, get me wrong. I wish we would have talked about a lot more, but at least we had talked about some things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, just having some sort of an idea of where to go and what to do afterwards, I think is so important. And like you said, they are difficult and awkward conversations to have. And I think, you know, adding a bit of humor to it makes it a little bit easier. But at the end of the day, it's still like, well, what happens if? So can you tell us about the farm after Donald's passing and the journey that it's taken to get you to where you are today? Well, I'd have to to rewind a a little bit just to kind of give a a bit of a foreground. The farm today has transitioned a lot. And I actually, for the most part, AFSC calls me a complicated farming situation because they helped me do up some agreements that I have with mine and Donald's best, best farmer buddies ever. Like, Honestly, <laughs> we could not ask for for better farmer farmer friends around here. Like they just they're just wonderful, and you know they've just been so good to help me. And and they laugh at me a lot. <laughs> I I know they do, but it, it's it's okay because I you know I'm good with it. But yeah, right now we have a what we call a commodity share agreement is what, what we call it. And um, it seems to work really well for me for now. And I'm just basically maintaining the, the farmyard and, and, you know, kind of going through things and, and transitioning. Like I didn't keep very much of the equipment because at the time my girls were 16, 14 and nine, and we were extremely active family. The girls were in lots of Lots of sports, lots of elite sports, music lessons, We're very active in the community on different volunteer positions. And yeah, so I mean, I wanted to continue to maintain as much normalcy that way with the girls as I could. And and me trying to 
do farm fully on my own with the girls was it just simply was not feasible and nor would I even have been able to be close to affording to hire people to help me with that and part of that is with the accident not only did I have liability lawsuits that took a lot of time like in terms of years for them to be settled I also had a litigation against my husband's family and that's a story in itself that um, I'm more than willing to share. It it put me through hell, um, which is consequently why my relationship, I think, with with John's family has been so so difficult. There was a lot of things said, and I realized that they were grieving as well. But there was a lot of things said and done that were just so extremely hurtful that I I really do have a hard time with it. And, and as my girls got older, they, they started to ask a lot of questions. And, and even at, like the older girls, they, they were asking a lot of questions. Like, why are you going to the lawyer so much, mom? You know, and what's, you know, why, why is there, you know, so much of this? And I just, finally, I thought there's no use beating around the bush. I, I told them, I said, this is what's going on. This is what mom's going through, you know, and it, it's been very difficult. Like in November of 97, when, when Donald and I were married and we moved out to the farm, to begin our life together, like I'd said before, my father-in-law was, you know, I'm moving to town kind of thing. You guys take over the farm. Fantastic. He was wonderful about being transparent and, and, and talking, at, at least to Donald and I, I found. And so he called a family meeting, which I thought was, was a great idea. And so it was Donald's twin sister and two older sisters, and then my myself and one of his his sisters was married, and um, so it was, you know, the brother-in-law. So us two outlaws kind of sat back, and, and the four kids, you know, they, they had a conversation, and, and Don's dad basically said, you know, what do you guys want to see happen here on the farm? Like, do you girls ever think you're going to, you know, want to farm? Well, no, they didn't, you know. They were all done their post-secondary. One was married and already had a little one. You know, they were working in their professions and and, you know, Thriving, thriving people, you know, and, and hard workers, wonderful, really wonderful people. Anyway, so I learned over the years that in, in everything, but definitely in farming, that fair is not always equal when it comes to, you know, dispersing and, and, and making things fair or equal on a farm. And so at that time, right when, like shortly after Donald and I got married, when his dad had had this meeting, he said, okay, if you girls aren't going to take over the farm, he said, We've got to make it, you know, somewhat fair. Donald and Rebecca will take over the farm. And he said, but um, in order to make it fair, the girls got paid out, quote unquote. So what happened was Donald and I bought a quarter off of his dad. So a quarter that was already paid for, <laughs> we, bought, we bought from his dad. And because I was younger, I, got to, I took out the loan because I got young farmers incentives with that. And so... Like any land loan, you know, it's, it was a 20-year loan, and that money went and was dispersed to his sisters. On top of that, you know, his dad, like I said, was transparent in saying that, you know, the life insurance when he when he passes away will go to the sisters because we we've got the farm. Perfect, fair enough, you know, carry on. 18 years later, my husband's killed, and we buried we buried him on a Tuesday. A couple of days after that, I um, it was early in the morning, and I got up 
and um, was sitting on the deck with my coffee and I was reading some of the cards and letters that had been coming in and the kids were all just absolutely emotionally and physically drained and they were all still sleeping and a vehicle drives in the yard and I think, oh, this is nice. You know, they, they're coming to visit. Like I've never, uh, rarely did they ever come to visit or come out to the farm unless it was one of the many times that I hosted different, you know, holiday events, that kind of thing. There was never any many times at all that they would just, you know, come out to the farm. So anyways, I thought that was nice. And, and so it was two of his sisters and his dad and, and they come and sit on the deck and I, I got some coffee and we're visiting. And then pretty soon his dad's like, well, the girls have drawn, drawn straws, he said, for which quarters they want. And I just thought, what? <laughs> like, what's going on? You know, this is supposed to be our farm now. And at that time, Donald and I had some land in our names, but then Donald had land with him and his dad in, together, right? And so I thought, this is crazy. And so I never said too much. And I think, you know, the conversation, again, it was almost like that sound in my ear where it just started to ring. And I just thought, what the heck? Like, don't you dare think that you're going to take this away you know, I just buried my husband and now you're going to come take the farm away that we've worked so hard for in the last 18 years and, and built up and, and made it what it was at that time, which was a lot different from what it was when when his dad was still farming, you know, or, or even when the girls lived out here on the farm when they were being raised. So I was I was furious. So the next business day, I was off to town and I went to my lawyers and we ended up, I served my father-in-law with papers to for the farm so yeah that was I had three lawsuits on the go at the time then and um, between liability and like you know trying to win the farm over I guess which I didn't think I would have to have done that yeah so long story short and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in lawyer bills I'm on the farm and to get out of capital gains we've done some some negotiations and um yeah i'm here and i've got the farm which is what was attended for my girls and that's right. what i'm maintaining for them now so yeah and that whole process you know it went started you know the beginning of july right after donald had passed away until the next well into the next year before all of that was settled and it was even after that before any of the liability suits were were settled. And so, yeah, it was it was really really tough. And it and it still is. You know, it's not at all what you think it is. You know, I know there was a lot of people that just kind of automatically thought, oh well, she got paid out by insurance and she's got lots of money now. You know, that kind of thing. It wasn't the case at all. People are very misinformed with that type of thing. So yeah. And the questioning that I had to go through from the guy that hit Donald through their lawyers and, and the questioning that Marty had to, like my oldest daughter that was in the accident, because of course that was a suit in itself. The questioning that she had was just, we had to call for recess. I don't know how many times it was so emotional. I can't believe that we were had, had to be put through that, in fact. And I mean, some of the questions that I got asked, for instance, were, you know, Everything was based on on statistics, 
they said, well, statistically, he would have lived until he was 78. And, and, you know, then I got asked, did you guys ever fight? Of course we fought. Well, couples don't fight, you know, and, and why does this bear anything? And, you know, statistically, we had a, I think it was an 32% chance of divorcing. That's what the divorce rate is now. And, and they went through all of this and, and I had to prove what my annual income was on the farm. And so you get reimbursed based on what your net annual income is. And well, when you're young farmers still starting out, you don't have a huge net, especially when you're building up the farm, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to, you know, get it, you know, more sustainable and, and upgrading and, and, you know, purchasing, it, it, there's not a lot of net there. And when you have young kids, like it's, yeah. So all of that, I had to hire a farm income analyst, which costs thousands of dollars to go through and, and analyze. I was climbing up in the, in the attic to get all the old books to, you know, submit to the lawyers and whatnot. Like it was just, Grieving was put on hold, and I was had to commence defense mode. It, it it was so hard, and so honestly, it was a long time afterwards before I was able to actually sit down and 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 grieve because I just had to keep going. Yeah, and, you know, it, oh, I just it's it's overwhelming just even talking about it again because it's been a while since I've talked about this, and and yeah. Right. I, I I think about it and I'm like, holy hell, how did I do that? Well, it's just, like you said, there's so much that was piled on you all at once. And it seemed to not have any relief for a very long time. And thank you for, for sharing this with us. And, you know, I think when we hear these stories, we hope to God they never have to happen to us. And I'm so sorry that they happened to you. Well, thank you. Like I just, you know, you think you have your ducks in a row, <laughs> right? you know, and, and we were doing so well, you know, we had been attending a few little, you know, transitioning classes through the winter time and, and we had wills. That was, that's huge. I couldn't imagine if we hadn't had wills where right. we'd be like just, just that technicality in itself. So, I mean, when I hear, of families, especially farming families, because let's face it, farms are big businesses mm-hmm. and, and can be quite complicated. You don't have wills? Holy heck. Like that's yeah, not good. Right. And so just to make sure that you've, as much as you possibly can, have all of your ducks in a row that way really helps. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, farm transition isn't isn't something new, um, but it's something that we hear more and more about. And especially as farms are getting larger and land prices are going up, like these are conversations that have to be had around the kitchen table. And they're so awkward. And especially, you know, as an in-law, they can be even more awkward because you know, there, there's legacy, there's entitlement, there's all of these different factors that come into it. And being able to separate your emotion from business in a farming family 
is nearly impossible to do. <laughs> it truly is. You're right. It, it is very difficult. And, and um, I mean, there's so many things. And, and one of the things I've learned is that, you know, the green-eyed monster is a real thing. <laughs> right. You know, which, I mean, I heard, you know, people talking like, oh, you know, so-and-so passed away. And, oh, yeah, the green-eyed monster got to them. And I, I felt victim of that. Almost. Well, I did. I felt victim of that after Donald passed away. I was so frustrated. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it was very, I was hurt, very deeply hurt. And, and so not only, you know, I, I truly feel that not only did I lose my husband, but I lost some family and I lost some friends, mm-hmm. you know, because we were always Don and Rebecca. And then I was just Rebecca. And oh, poor Rebecca, you know, and, and I hated that hated it, you know, because I firmly believe that things don't happen for a reason. I mean, the experiences you encounter in a lifetime are set out to shape and teach and and somewhat help us to become the person we're meant to be. But, you know, when I was, I lost all of that. And so now I'm feeling that because I've gone through what I have, that maybe the reason I'm here today is to inspire and help others to learn from, from my experiences I forgot a lot of them <laughs> right. and and apply them to their own to realize that no matter how unfortunate situations may seem, there's always someone worse off. So, I mean, pity parties are never, ever my intention. And, and I mean, I realize that we all have stories and I just really hope that, you know, people can learn from what I've been through. And I often tell my girls when they're feeling sorry for themselves, you know, which is okay to feel sorry for yourself once in a while, but I'll say, you know what? When you think you've got it bad, there's always someone that's got it worse. You know, yeah. so fuck it up and carry on, you know. And in fact I had one of my one of my good friends when she was thirty six years old, she had a five, a two and a one year old and, and she died of a massive heart attack while she was in the shower. And um that was hard on us, you know, to lose her and, and um Oh, just so, so terrible. And, and I can remember she knew because she had a bit of a heart condition. And, and um, so she kind of knew that this potentially could, could happen as she not, and she wasn't able to get in for surgery. And, and, you know, it was just a long string of events, just that in itself. But she had wrote letters. Her doctor had said, had kind of mentioned, you know, write letters, you know, just, just in case. And so she did. And so at her funeral, her letter to all of us girlfriends was for us to put on our big girl panties and deal with it. And that just resonated with me when Donald passed away and, and I was faced with everything. I just thought, you know what? Jill's telling me to put on my big girl panties and deal with it. Right. And so that's, you know, and so I feel like I've got both of them helping me now, you know? And um, yeah. Oh, those are just beautiful gifts. I think that, you know, that keep on giving and they'll keep on giving throughout your whole life. And what you've done today, Rebecca, is given us all a gift in you sharing your story. Because I can guarantee you right now there's somebody listening who has been afraid to have a conversation with their partner or with their family about what happens if. And if this gives them any ounce of courage to go out and start that conversation, then, you know, we've done our job here. I hope so, because I just, I just wouldn't, I don't wish this upon anybody. 
I truly don't. I just, I couldn't, you know, nobody deserves it at all. And I mean, I've, people say, oh, you know, time heals, but I've, I've learned that time doesn't necessarily heal. Like we miss him every single day, but time helps to make better decisions and, and learn from past experiences. And, and I can stand a little more stable on my feet now. And, and with my, my young girls, I mean, one, one just got married this summer and the other one's getting married next summer and holy smokes, you know, that those things continue to happen. You know, life continues to go on and I keep thinking he should be here, right. you know? So yeah, it's tough. It is tough. What are some things that you are most proud of yourself for accomplishing on your farm? post Donald, post litigation, post all of these things, what are things today that you are most proud of yourself for? That I'm still here. I'm still on this family farm and I'm maintaining it to the best of my ability for, for my girls. If they ever choose to, you know, once they're, two of them are done, they're post-secondary and and working in the in those fields and, you know, they're getting married and, and actually, I'm going to be a glammy in January. So I'm pretty pumped about that. <laughs> and, yeah, no, just just being being able to be here and maintain and, and have this so that the kids can always come home because this is their home. Right. Oh, a Grammy. Congratulations. <laughs> no, 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 Caitlin. It's a glammy. Oh, a glammy. Okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know, like I have a lot of things to be proud of. I guess nobody's really asked me that, to be honest. So that's a thinker. Yeah. I hope you take some time to reflect on that question and you can get back to us. But uh, I really, I truly cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story and being so vulnerable with us. And uh I, I just know that by what you've done here today, you have helped a whole lot of people. So thank you. Well, well, thank you. Because, you know, I think through this, I, I just believe that sharing these things with each other is, is our job as women and mothers and, and community members to, to teach each other and, and be there for one another and, and to remember that we're not alone. And yeah, I, Donald was always helping others. He was just such a, a kind family man and and I know that me sharing all of this especially with you know your listening group he would be proud that we're talking about this situation to hopefully help others yeah absolutely Rebecca my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you oh wow there's so many so many things I often even lately, I've just thought, man, I'm just so thankful to be out here and, and have the, the community that, that we have and, and all these, you know, so many people that are like-minded, you know, and, and, and know the value of hard work. And, and I think just that in itself, you know, the, the value of hard work and, and, and discipline and, and being your own boss. And yeah, you learn a, a lot. It's on you. You know, if something doesn't get done, it's your fault. There's nobody else to blame. So, I mean, you learn huge responsibility and, and that's, that's great. But I don't know. I'm, I'm a journaler and I love to, 
to walk and, and I walk a lot and, and oftentimes, you know, you just kind of stop and take a deep breath and look around you and, you know, there's miles between neighbors and it's just so peaceful and, and being out here is just, it's godly. I love it. I just love it out here. And it's your home. It's my home. For listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Mm-hmm. So I'm on LinkedIn and I'm also, I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, you can find me anywhere on there. Perfect. I will put links in the show notes for people to reach out and connect with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rebecca, thank you again so much for sharing your story with us here today. I I truly appreciate it. Thank you for, for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team audio editor Max Hofer and admin support from Kim and Co online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.